Welcome back to season two of the 411 podcast. My name is Nicole. I am your hairdresser and host. And this week, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Cindy Gallup. Cindy's CV is absolutely mental. She is founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn. She is unapologetically herself, which I have huge admiration for. Cindy can't wait to die alone. She doesn't want marriage and kids. So in a world that demonizes single women over 30, I just think that is so refreshing. She prides herself on her ability to blow shit up. And this episode is going to blow your mind. So without further ado, I present to you Cindy fucking Gallup. I found Cindy on Style Like You on the Defying Ageism episode and I just was blown away and I thought I would take a leap of faith and ask you to come on and you did. And here we are. And I'm thrilled to be here, Nicole. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so I was saying when we came on, I'm I'm a little bit starstruck. I've been stalking you for the past few weeks since I found you. I just think that you're absolutely fabulous. And I just know that the listeners are just going to love you. This podcast is all about letting people see things from a different perspective and changing people's thought process. Because I feel like we live in a very narrow-minded world. It's very tunnel vision and everybody's very judgmental and I feel like especially since the pandemic having somebody that works for the public I feel like people have became more judgmental and this is something that hopefully by the end of this podcast we would have changed people's minds. Um, I just want to say as well on Style With You you're style is absolutely immaculate and you would definitely get a part as yourself on Sex and the City. I'm such a big fan. <laughs> I love that blue dress and your undies. I'm such an undie girl and I just thought, wow, that's so hot. She's so sexy. <laughs> First of all, I was discussing your style and you talk a lot about how society polices what women should and should not wear, especially at your age. Um, how do you feel like people respond to your style in general? Um, honestly, Nicole, um, I think um, they love it. You know, I mean, I um, I really enjoy fashion. Um, you know, I, I have a very strong sense of personal style in terms of knowing what I like and what I don't like. I will absolutely wear whatever I want because I don't give a damn what anybody thinks. And I think that people really welcome that, you know, and and, and I am also, um, uh, you know, deliberate about um, posting photos of myself that demonstrate that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I deplore um, every year when summer rolls around is the appalling tendency of both women's magazines and media platforms and, you know, um, influencers to run pieces on or start highlighting swimsuits that are flattering. Because my approach to what I wear on the beach, at the pool is, 
you know, I think it all looks better when it's brown. Mm -hmm. And so I wear bikinis at the age of 62. And I like my bikinis to be as teensy weensy as possible. <laughs> so I that. can suntan to the max. And I get, I don't give a damn what anybody thinks, you know, and I say to women, listen, you're never going to see anybody on that beach ever again. No. So what the hell? You yes. know, just relax and soak up the sun, enjoy tanning. I mean, you know, I, I love lying in the sun reading, you know, I think it's one of life's great pleasures. And so, and so I will absolutely post photos of myself in my teensy weensy bikinis on vacation, you know, to, um, to, to encourage that. And, 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 you know, so similarly with, you know, dressing up to go out. Um, and, and by the way, these days, um, so um, in my past life, you know, once upon a time, I was a high-flying, highly-paid ad exec. <laughs> and so I used to be able to afford designer clothes. I mean, I have a wardrobe to this day full of vintage, you know, Tom Ford for Gucci and Yves Saint Laurent stuff because I bought all of that back in my advertising career. Yeah. But these days, I'm a bootstrapping entrepreneur. And so I shop at Zara and H&M and, you know, Topshop back, back in the day. And... And, um, and so often, you know, what I'm wearing was ridiculously cheap. And so I also highlight that because you can be stylish on a budget. And mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of what I like to call recession chic. Mm -hmm. You know, um, um, one of my newest acquisitions is this gorgeous um, orange dress from Zara, which um, is fake suede but looks like real suede mm -hmm. and people have been complimenting me on that and I explain it cost eight quid in the Zara sale in the UK it was bought for me by my sister yeah. who bought one for herself and I said oh my god get me one as well <laughs> and so and so you know I encourage people to a really follow their own sense of personal style and b know that you can do that very affordably yes I love that because when I started to make money, my ex-husband used to say to me, you should wear designer clothes, you should shop in, don't know if you know what flannels is, but that's like a shop down here where you buy all the designer stuff. And he's like, you only wear like Primark and Zara. And I'm like, I like Primark and Zara and everyone compliments me on my style. So I'm yeah. doing something right with that. So... I am all for recession chic. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, do you think that people make assumptions about you based on the way that you dress? I feel like women can be the ones who are more judgmental towards other women. Like, she shouldn't be wearing that. You know, what age is she? And I get that. I'm 31 and I feel like women my age... I look really young for my age and I'm like my mum, I'm petite, I exercise, I take care of myself. So I feel like if you've got it, flaunt it, right? Um, and you walk into a room, but you feel the eyes like drawn up and down you, you know, like how do you feel when you walk into a room at your age and you are wearing a short skirt or a short dress or you're in that teeny weeny bikini on the beach? Um, well, you know, um, I've never encountered that. But then again, Nicole, I don't give a shit. You know, so, so, um, so I wouldn't even notice if I did. But um, but what I do want to highlight and what you've just said to me, because I think it's very important younger women realise this. Um, what you are talking about is a scenario that was entirely created by men. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, and let me explain what I mean by that in a business context first, and I'll come on to the context in which, in which he raised this. Okay. Because um, for years, you know, um, because as you know, I'm a rampant feminist. Yes. I champion, you know, gender equality, diversity, and inclusion in the world of business and work as well as generally. And so for years, you know, I've had women say to me, um, but Cindy, you know, what about women who are bitches to other women? Mm-hmm. because a number of women have worked for mm-hmm. women who have behaved appallingly and what I always explain is that that is a syndrome that is caused entirely by men mm-hmm. and I call it Highlander syndrome there can be only one mm-hmm. when women in the working world know that at their company there is only ever room for one token woman on the leadership team mm-hmm. on the board leading the project that is what forces them to compete with other women when they know they can be only one that is a syndrome that is driven entirely by men and the patriarchal world that we live in and and so you know unfortunately the context that you describe is internalized misogyny mm-hmm. because again in this patriarchal world you know women um have been driven by that attitude and the male lens to police other women for how they fit into what ultimately um, has been, you know, what what men believe should be happening and, and women have internalized in a competitive um, way that I absolutely deplore. And so, you know, I am a, you know, I would urge any woman don't give a damn what anybody thinks, you know, you be you, you dress how you want to. And secondly, at the same time, do everything you can to break that system down. Because actually, when you wear what you want, you enjoy yourself. That is role modeling for other women, what all of us should be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree completely with what you've said. I feel like I've always had a sense of style about myself and I've maybe wore things that were quite out there and my friends would even put me down for it and say things like oh that's something that Nicole would wear as if it was a bad thing as I said a lot of people compliment me on my style and I think that that is who I am that's how I express how I am Um, so I completely agree with you that everyone every woman should wear what they want that makes them feel confident sexy and badass and just go for it and not care about what anybody else thinks because when you feel confident then I feel like your life your day takes a different turn doesn't it when you're wearing something that you like when you feel good um, no, you're absolutely right, Nicole. And in fact, I have given talks on this topic mm-hmm. because um, w- w- um, what I always say is that it's the expression of your personal style, not the suppression of it, mm-hmm. that actually delivers your desired professional outcomes. And so many years ago, um, mm-hmm. I was actually invited to speak in Ireland mm-hmm. um, to, uh, on two occasions. Um, to, um, to, uh, and by the way, I've got no idea if this magazine is still there, but th- there was an Irish women's magazine called um, The Gloss. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they had this brilliant idea, which was that, um, you know, um, Ireland being a very, very conventional and conservative country, mm-hmm. um, they realised that... Um, 
businesswomen in Ireland didn't have the same kind of places to hang out and socialize with clients and make deals happen that men did. Mm-hmm. You know, the men were doing it in cigar bars, on the golf course. The women yes. didn't have their own version. And so the Gloss um, created this um, wonderful event where um, they basically invited, you know, businesswomen to bring their female clients. And it was an evening of, you know, makeup demonstrations, fashion shows from boutiques and brands that were stylish ways to dress for business. Mm -hmm. And they invited me to give a talk on, you know, expressing your personal style in in a work environment. And so um, so I gave this talk, which went down very well, and and they enjoyed it so much that that that, that was in Dublin. And they invited me back to do the same thing in Cork um, Mm -hmm. when they held an event there. And I was so touched. Um, A few weeks after that, I got an email from a man and he said, you don't know me, but my wife attended the talk you gave in Cork. He said she is, um, you know, I think it was something like, you know, 56. Mm-hmm. And he said, and for years, I've been telling her that she should, you know, dress more stylishly. She's a gorgeous woman. Mm-hmm. He said, after your talk, she went straight out and bought herself a leather skirt and a pair of knee-high boots. And she, <laughs> she looks amazing. Yes. <laughs> My, my concluding point in, in when I talk about this is always, you know, um, basically what you put on to go out into the world with absolutely impacts how you show up in the world. Mm-hmm. And in order to do better business, wear the outfit that makes you feel great as you go through your working day. You put on that confidence, you put on that power, and I guarantee you better business outcomes Mm -hmm. are delivered because of that. Yes, I would agree. Dress for the job that you want, not for the job that you have, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But also, also, absolutely, you know, dress in a way that makes you feel good regardless of what all the other women in your industry are dressing like. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and you will also stand out. Um, You know, many years ago, um, when I was here in New York, you know, I moved here in 1998 to start up um, the New York office of the advertising agency I worked for, Bartle mm-hmm. Vogel Hegarty, which began, you know, the US office began as me in a room with a phone on my own, starting an advertising agency in the world's toughest advertising marketplace, Madison Avenue. And, and as I said earlier, this was back in the day when, you know, I was earning a good salary. Mm-hmm. And so I was buying um, all of my work in wardrobe from Gucci when Tom Ford was working there because I just loved his style. You know, I'm, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of Gucci today, mm-hmm. but back in the day, I love what Tom Ford did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you are starting an advertising agency um, in a very competitive industry, you are pitching all the time for clients' business. And, you know, um, I, I said to my team, when, when you're in a pitch with 20 other agencies and every agency presentation is blurring in front of the client's eyes, mm-hmm. being the agency where the CEO was dressed head to toe in black leather mm-hmm. is as good for differentiating yourself from the competition as your thinking or your creative work. Yes. You know, and um, and and you know, my clients always really enjoyed. You know, they said to me, "We're always waiting to see what Cindy will wear next at the next meeting." Yes. So, um, so honestly, standing out um, in the way you want to, because it's your personal style, mm-hmm. can work well for you in a competitive business landscape. Yeah, I would agree. I remember going for a job interview, 
and I wore a pair of blue suede stiletto heels um, to the interview and they gave me the job because they said that they loved my shoes and it made me stand out. There so you there you go. There you go. <laughs> and that is exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So um, were you always so confident in yourself? Um, where did that come from? Because I feel like most people around where I live in their 20s, they've maybe had one kid or a couple and they have became really frumpy in the way that they dress. And as I said earlier on, I loved your style when as soon as I seen you sitting on that stool on style with you, uh, like you, I was just like, I love that dress. Oh my God, I've got to have that. I've got to find that. That's gorgeous. So have you always had that confidence? Um, do you know, I get asked that question a lot, Nicole, and the answer is, you know, my confidence is the result very simply of 62 years of life. Okay. It comes with life and experience, and that's why, you know, I want to do everything I can to help shortcut the process for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And honestly, um, Nicole, um, it is, it's very easy to acquire my confidence, mm -hmm. okay? Um, because it starts with one of my basic life philosophies, which uh, which is that everything in life and business starts with you and your values. Mm -hmm. And so I really encourage people, if they've never done this exercise before, you know, take a long, hard look into yourself mm -hmm. and identify what you believe in, what you value, what you stand for, what you're all about, and then live your life and work your work according to those values, because that honestly is the true secret of confidence and happiness. Mm -hmm. Always knowing that you are doing everything in accordance with your values. And, and yes. by the way, doing that also makes life so much simpler because life still throws at you all the shit it always will, mm -hmm. but you know exactly how to respond to that shit in any given situation in a way that is true to you. Mm -hmm. And as I say, that really is the secret yeah. of happiness and confidence. You know, my sister said something like that to me recently um, because a lot's went on recently. I lost my mum, my husband left. It was just shit. But she said to me, you know, who you are will always remain. And you are you and your values and your self-respect and your work ethic. You are you and no one can take that away from you. So I really resonate with that and what you said. Um, no, no, she, she, that, she's absolutely right. And, I, and I'm so very sorry about all of that. Oh. Um, but, but your sister is absolutely you. right. Thank you. It, it, you know, I just believe that now I'm a stronger, better person for it all. So, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> In 2009, Cindy gave a TED Talk on Make Love Not Porn presentation. It was one of the most talked about presentations at the TED conference. You want to change the way that we look at mainstream porn and create a social sex revolution. What was the catalyst for Make Love Not Porn? So Make Love Not Porn, my business, mm -hmm. um, was a complete and total accident mm -hmm. because I never consciously, intentionally set out to do anything. I very bizarrely find myself doing now. Mm -hmm. um, it came about through my direct personal experience dating younger men. Mm -hmm. And the men I date tend to be in their 20s. 
And 14, 15 years ago now, I began realizing through dating younger men that I was encountering an issue that honestly would never have crossed my mind if I had not encountered it very intimately and personally. Mm -hmm. I realized I was experiencing what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one thing. I realized I was experiencing what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. It's when those two factors converge that porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral means in bed. I went, whoa, mm-hmm. I know where that behavior is coming from. Mm-hmm. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that because 14, 15 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Mm-hmm. Nobody was writing about it. This was me in isolation as a naturally action-oriented person going, I want to do something about this. Mm -hmm. So 13 years ago, I put up on No Money a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original version was just words. The construct was porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world. Here's what really happens in the real world. I had the opportunity to launch the TED. I became the only TED speaker to say the words, come on my face on the (laughs) TED stage, six times in succession. Mm -hmm. The talk went viral as a result. Mm -hmm. And it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny website that I had never anticipated. Mm -hmm. Thousands of people wrote to me from every single country in the world, young and old, men and female, straight and gay, pouring their hearts out. And I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. Mm -hmm. And so I then felt I had a personal responsibility to take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that would make it much more far-reaching, helpful and effective. But I also saw an opportunity to do what I believe in very strongly, which is that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. I saw the opportunity for a big business solution to this huge untapped global need because you know, and I say the word big advisedly, even then, 13 years ago at concept stage, I knew if I wanted to counter the global impact of porn as default sex ed, I would have to come up with something that at least had the potential one day to be just as mass, just as mainstream, and just as all pervasive in our society as porn currently is. Mm-hmm. So thinking big right from the get-go. So what I decided to do was, I always emphasize that make love not porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. Mm -hmm. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. If we did, amongst a whole host of benefits, people would then be able to bring a real world mindset to the viewing of what is simply performative produced entertainment. Mm -hmm. So our tagline of make love not porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And so that's why I turned Make Love Not Porn into the world's first and only user-generated, human-curated, social sex video sharing platform. Mm -hmm. So we are what Facebook would be if it allowed you to socially, sexually self-express, which it clearly doesn't. Mm -hmm. If porn is the Hollywood blockbuster movie, 
Make Love Not Porn is the badly needed documentary. Mm-hmm. So we are, we're not a competitor to porn, we are a counterpoint and a complement. We are the only window onto the funny, messy, loving, beautiful, awkward, comical ways we all have sex in the real world. Mm -hmm. We are socializing and normalizing sex in the real world, making it easier for everyone to talk about, to promote consent, communication, good sexual values, and good sexual behavior. And so that's why we call ourselves the social sex revolution. The the revolution part is not the sex, it's the fact we're making it social. Yeah so that people are able to talk about it because it is I've got nieces and nephews and it really worries me that they are going to be growing up and this is the kind of thing that they're going to be seeing in hardcore porn I was actually married to a man that was younger than me he wasn't very much younger than me only like 11 months Um, however he I believe had a porn addiction and I caught him watching porn like on the toilet one night And I was so disgusted. I was like, oh my God, but I feel like younger people, and this is actually a question I was going to ask you later on in it, because you discussed having sex with younger men. I feel like younger men and sex and mainstream porn, watching of mainstream porn creates this unrealistic, almost rapey kind of sex. Um, and it is not enjoyable. They want to, they want to choke you. They like they want to treat you as if you are being raped, and it's really worrying. And I actually listened to you, and you were speaking about having to actually talk a younger man through being able to make you climax. And I had to do that. He was so <laughs> such a shame, but he was so bad in bed that I felt like his teacher, like I had to teach him like where everything was and what to do. That I think that watching porn resulted in that. But actually, I thought watching porn might have helped him, you know, and I didn't say go and watch it. I'm saying you would think that actually watching people having sex, then they would maybe look at what's making these people climax and what they're actually enjoying however I suppose there is acting involved in pornography and there are scenes that are set up to make men look as if they're climaxing as well which is where love not porn make love not porn comes in and shows the reality um, that you may have a sexual encounter but it's not all about the man coming (laughs) men don't always come and sometimes that still just is enjoyable Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. Nicole. Um, he needed to watch Make Love Not Porn, yes. which is which is unlike anything anybody else has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, to, um, several responses to what you've just said. First mm-hmm. of all, you know, um, the reason I said um, that Make Love Not Porn exists to help make it easier for everyone to talk about sex mm-hmm. is because we don't talk about sex. It is an area of rampant insecurity for every single one of us. We all get vulnerable when we get naked, men included. Sexual ego is very fragile. People therefore find it bizarrely difficult to talk about sex to the people they're actually having it with while they're actually having it. Mm -hmm. Because in that situation, you are terrified that if you say anything at all about what is going on, if you comment on the action anyway at all, you will potentially hurt the other person's feelings, you'll put them off you, Mm -hmm. You will derail the encounter, 
you'll potentially derail the entire relationship. But at the same time, you want to please your partner. Mm -hmm. You want to make them happy. Everybody wants to be good in bed. Nobody knows exactly what that means. Mm -hmm. And so you will seize your cues on how to do that from anywhere that you can. And if the only cues you've ever seen are in porn, because your parents never talked to you about sex, because your school didn't teach you, because your friends aren't honest, those are the cues you're going to take to not very good effect. And so Make Love Not Porn's mission ultimately is to end rape culture. We help end rape culture by doing, Make Love Not Porn's mission ultimately is to end rape culture. We help end rape culture by doing something incredibly simple that nevertheless nobody else is doing. We end rape culture by showing you how wonderful great consensual communicative sex is in the real world. Our social sex videos role model good sexual values and good sexual behavior. And this is the really important part. We make all of that aspirational mm -hmm. versus what you see in porn and popular culture. And what is really interesting, Nicole, is that I designed Make Love Not Porn to be fully gender equal, diverse, and inclusive. And we are. Our members and our contributors, our Make Love Not Porn stars, are male, female, trans, non-binary. We celebrate the full glorious spectrum of human sexuality. But over the 10 years that we've been operating, I've realized that Make Love Not Porn is especially a revelation to men. More men probably write effusive emails to us than anybody else because Make Love Not Porn is something utterly unique that men will not find anywhere else on the internet, which is a safe space where men can be and watch other men being open, emotional, and vulnerable around sex. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't believe the number of men who write to us and say, I just watched my first video on Make Love Not Porn and afterwards I cried. You know, I've been saying for years that I wish society understood the opposite of what it thinks is true. Women enjoy sex just as much as men mm -hmm. and men are just as romantic as women. Mm -hmm. Yet neither gender is allowed to openly celebrate that fact and we'd all be a whole lot better off if they were. I picked up um, an exchange on Twitter last year between two men. One man had tweeted as a joke, hey guys, I've got this really weird fetish. Got this kink where I want to watch porn, where people are honest, loving, loyal, decent, and truthful and really like each other. Mm -hmm. Hit me up with your hottest links, please. Mm -hmm. And another man replied to him and he said, there's this website called Make Love Not Porn, where you can watch real couples making love. He said, I watched a video where the woman said to her man, I love you while they're making love. He said, sincerely, I cried when I heard that. Mm -hmm. Make Love Not Porn is sex education through real world demonstration. And, you know, as an utterly unique venture, we have an utterly unique capability. We have the power to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior for the better in a way that nothing else does. So your ex-husband should have watched Make Love Not Porn. Yeah. You know, every male partner of, you know, and every man listening to this podcast should be watching Make Love Not Porn. And importantly, couples should be watching Make Love Not Porn together. Because our power lies not just in what we do, but the way that we do it, in the fact that we are social. 
you know, couples, when they write to us saying, you saved my marriage, you saved my relationship, you know, they tell us, you know, one couple um, wrote in and said, you know, because you normalize all of this, we found that when we watch your videos together, um, it's as easy to talk about what we're watching as, as we talk about something we watch on Netflix mm -hmm. or on TV. And from there, it's just one step further to breakthroughs in talking about our own sex life. Mm -hmm. So, so we, we are the solution to so many things that are wrong with so many people's sex lives. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree. I think that had he watched something like that, then maybe, or had he listened to me, because he used to get himself like really nervous and he would be like, you're so confident and I'm not, and I feel like I can't please you. And I'm like, well, well you can. We've been together yeah. for years you're my you just have to like listen or remember what worked the last time so yeah, yeah make love not porn might be good we should send them the link yeah, <laughs> for his next partner um so you charge your subscribers and you give 50 percent of the proceeds to your creators um if someone changed their mind or decided that they didn't want the videos online anymore and they wanted them taken down, is it true that they could come down and they only exist on Make Love Not Porn? Um, absolutely. And, and and for the benefit of our listeners, Nicole, <laughs> I should explain um, why make, I designed Make Love Not Porn to be the safest place on the internet. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because the young white male founders of the giant tech platforms that dominate our lives today they are not the primary targets online or offline of harassment abuse racism sexual assault rape violence revenge porn mm -hmm. therefore they did not and they do not proactively design for the prevention of any of those things on their platforms and we see the results around us every single day. Mm -hmm. Those of us who are most at risk every single day, women, black people, people of color, LGBTQ, the disabled, we design safe spaces and safe experiences. I and my tiny team spent literally years concepting and designing Make Love Not Porn before we ever built it, mm -hmm. because we knew if we're going to invite people to do something they've never done before, socially share their real world sex, we had to think through every possible ramification of that mm -hmm. to create a completely safe and trustworthy space. So not only does Make Love Not Porn operate unlike anybody else in the adult sphere, we operate unlike anybody else on the internet, full stop. And that's because I designed Make Love Not Porn around what everybody else should have and nobody else did, human curation. Mm -hmm. There is no self-publishing of anything on Make Love Not Porn. Our curators watch every frame of every video submitted from beginning to end before we approve or reject and we publish it. No one else does that. We review every post on every member profile before we approve or reject and publish it. And by the way, on Make Love Not Porn, your profile posts can be as safe work or not safe work as you like, but we review them. We publish them. We review every comment on every single video before we approve or reject and publish it. We can vouch for every single piece of content on our platform in a way that nobody else can. And that's why we're the safest place on the internet because we designed Make Love Not Porn around enormous respect for our community. So the moment any Make Love Not Porn star wants their videos taken down, all they have to do is tell us 
and they're gone immediately. Mm -hmm. There is no process. There is no application form you have to fill in and submit. You know, the other day, a Make Love Not Porn star wanted her videos down. She emailed us within 15 minutes of us receiving that email, her videos were gone. Mm -hmm. Nobody else anywhere on the internet does that. Yeah. I think that's incredible, though, because some people may make decisions and some people say these porn stars, people that do OnlyFans, that sort of thing, they're sharing intimate moments online once they maybe have kids or it could be that they've moved to the corporate world and this video could really stop them from getting to a place in their career that they want because they've had a career change. So I think that that's amazing that you protect people um, as well as share, share, as well as share such intimate moments. Um, well, I'll tell you what's, what's quite entertaining, Nicole, because, you know, this is the real world. We are, we are the only real world sex video sharing platform. And so in the real world, couples break up. Mm -hmm. And so we will regularly get, you know, emails that go, I'm so sorry, we're no longer together. Can you take down all our videos? Mm -hmm. And we go, bummer, you know, because I have 30 videos up and they're amazing. Yeah. But, but yes, of course, you take them down immediately. A few months later, you get an email going, oh, we're back together again. Can you put them back up, please? In fact, with, 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 you know, a few couples, mm -hmm. that's happened several times. So do you get, what do you do if you've deleted yeah, them? You know, we take them down, they get back together, put them back mm -hmm. up, they break up again, we take them down. Right. <laughs> so you've got like a large ar archive then? <laughs> like, oh, we've got to take Julian John's videos back. <laughs> So you're a big advocate for women's rights and equality. What needs to change and which areas do you think still needs work so, from, um, from a business point of view? Yeah. So, um, you know, mm -hmm. I like to keep things radically simple, um, Nicole. And we're talking about a very simple problem and a very simple solution. Mm -hmm. Um, first of all, the problem, here's why change is not happening in any industry. At the top of every industry is a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. Those white guys are sitting very pretty. They've got their enormous salaries, their big bonuses, their huge pools of stock options, their lavish expense accounts. Why on earth would they ever want to rock the boat? Mm. Oh, they have to talk diversity. Yeah. They have to appoint chief diversity officers. They have to have diversity initiatives. They have to say the word diversity a lot, especially in public. Secretly, deep down inside, they don't want to change a thing because the system is working just fine for them as it currently is. Mm -hmm. It's like the old joke about the light bulb. Mm -hmm. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Mm -hmm. Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. Yeah. And in every industry, the light bulb does not really want to change. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. It's a huge problem, but it's a very simple one. Um, here's the solution. It's the opposite of what people talk about, because the answer is not to bring diversity and inclusion into every industry. The answer is to boot the sexist, the racist, the misogynist, the homophobes, the ableists and the ageists out. Yeah, we would have no government left. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. Um, 
do you think that there's any advantages to being a woman in business, Cindy? Um, what I would say is that um, there is a huge advantage, but not in the way you've asked that question, because when you ask the question like that, Nicole, you presume that the default setting is male. Mm-hmm. You are asking, is there an advantage to being a woman in business in, 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 in a man's world? Mm-hmm. Um, and I am, you know, that this is where I am the complete opposite of Sheryl Sandberg. Because Sheryl Sandberg wants us to lean in within the existing system, and I want us to redesign the system. Yeah. And so women have a huge advantage, because as I like to put it, women challenge the status quo because we are never it design and build our own system Mm -hmm. and so i readily say to women i want you to start your own industry and what i mean by that is start your own business Mm -hmm. but i deliberately articulate like that because when you start your own business you can make that business work any way you want it to you can design that business around how you like to work and how you like to live your life And when you start that business, you are starting the industry that we all want to live and work in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That takes me on to when you did the piece for HBR, the seven pieces of bad advice um, for women that women should ignore. And obviously advertising your area um, is very male dominated. Do you think that we need to change to make it a more female orientated? I know that you said you kind of need to kick them out to make it more female orientated. If it could be done, what kind of impact do you think that it could have if there was women at the top? Oh my God, at the most basic level, Nicole, um, my industry advertising would be making so much more money. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because it is enormously ironic that the advertising industry is so male dominated because the primary target for all advertising is women. We are the primary purchasers of everything and we are the primary influencers of purchase of everything, including sectors traditionally thought to be male. You know, so here in the US, And this has been the case for, you know, many, many years now. More women hold driver's licenses than men. Wow. Um, In the all-important new millennial new car buying market, because that that is the um, era where, you know, your car mark preferences are set for life. More women buy new cars than men. Yet who is the automotive industry targeting their product design, marketing, dealerships, you know, CRM at. Um, And and, and there are two um, important things about this. Not just that women buy, um, women share. Social media is simply a whole new methodology for what we have been doing since the dawn of time, which is sharing the shit out of everything in a way that men do not. Mm -hmm. Because we're the gossipers. We're the chatters. We're the advocates, we're the ambassadors, we're the talkers, so much so that I advise brands that think they're targeting men talk to women because women will influence men more than men will influence other men. Mm -hmm. And so it is utterly ludicrous that my industry, whose primary audience is female, 
is dominated by men because we are constantly sold to through the male lens and that is not working. So when we change that, we make so much more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as it goes back to um, the way that men tell us to live our lives, it's like back when men invented the razor for women. Like when was it? I think it was 1916 that the razor was invented and they told us that we had to start shaving and before that women didn't so i'm going to i'm going to go on to talk about your dating how you like to date how you like to live your life you like to date and you have said that you like to date men in their early 20s now there is outrage that surrounds an older woman dating a younger man. We've seen this in the public eye with Harry Styles and Caroline Flack. How did you begin dating younger men? Sure. So, um, you know, just like Make Love Not Porn was an accident, dating younger men was an accident. <laughs> um, I have never consciously intentionally planned anything in my life and career. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. My old boss at BBH, the ad agency I used to work for, John Hegarty, mm-hmm. has this great mantra. Do interesting things and interesting things will happen to you. Yeah. And I'm a great fan of that as well. So, um, you know, w- um, how it happened was, um, again, many years ago, sorry, like 20 years ago, mm-hmm. when I was running the ad agency here in New York, we were asked to pitch for an online dating brand. And when you pitch for, you know, a client's account, you have to experience the client's product and the entire competitive landscape. So we all had to online date. And this was 20 years ago and none of us ever had because, you know, back then online dating wasn't the universal thing that it is now. So the rest of my pitch team at the agency, I mean, they were all already married, living with dating people. They went online as fake personas, you know, Mm. created false identities online. I was single. I thought... I need to do this for business reasons. Why not do it for real? Yeah. You know, let's see what this whole online dating thing is all about. So I posted my profile on a bunch of sites, got an avalanche of responses, very good for the ego, but much to my surprise, because I had absolutely not considered this as a dating strategy, mm-hmm. the vast majority of those responses were from much younger men. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, okay, I haven't thought about that, but given I'm somebody who has never wanted married, never wanted children, you know, um, doesn't want to particularly even have a relationship, you know, um, I just wanted to have some fun, which mm-hmm. at the time, I just started up this advertising agency. I was working 24-7, I was traveling all the time, fun was severely missing from my life. So I went, okay, you know, hadn't thought about this, but works for me. And yeah. I've been dating younger men very happily ever since. Good. Wow. What do you think about people calling you a cougar? So, you know, back when I began dating younger men, You know, I wanted to find an alternative term for cougar Mm -hmm. because I don't like the negative associations of it. Predatory, hunting, stalking, sinking your teeth into. But it was really difficult to find an alternative term. And, you know, the media made, you know, the use of cougars so widespread that I decided very simply to own it. Mm -hmm. So I very happily describe myself as a cougar because I want to redefine what people think a cougar is. Yeah. Yeah, and when you're when you are having sex with these men, what do you have sex with the same man? Um, do you casually date here and there? Um, do you worry that you would that you'll fall in love with any of these men while you're 
you're having sex no, with no, them. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I have, I have zero desire to fall in love with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, um, you know, um, as, um, as you heard me say in my Star Like You interview, yeah. when you decide you don't want to be in love, you just strip a whole layer of crap out of your life immediately. Yeah. So now I've got no desire to be in love. Um, but, um, you know, um, for the benefit of our listeners, let me explain um, how I operate my dating model. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm public about this because, you know, I believe that everybody should design the relationship model that works for them, mm-hmm. um, which may, by the way, be different at different stages of your life versus very limited number of society says it's okay for us to operate. Yes. So I'm very open about the fact that I date younger men casually in recreation. I date a lot of them simultaneously, or rather I did pre the pandemic. You know, yeah. COVID has, you know, dramatically reduced um, how, how, I, how I used to operate and, and will do until things are fully safe again, which they are not um, currently. Mm-hmm. But um, um, so I meet the younger men I date on cougar dating sites. Um, I have never hit on a younger man in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't need to. They come after me. <laughs> um, and and even I, who, you know, celebrate um, dating younger men, I'm gobsmacked by the number of younger men on these sites who want to date older women. Mm-hmm. And when I say date, I mean date. There are a ton of younger men out there who want to have relationships with older women, not just have sex with them. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the reason I say even I'm taken aback by that is because we've made it so unacceptable you know older man younger woman fine older woman younger man not fine that a lot of younger men don't feel able to publicly assert how much they are attracted to older women Mm -hmm. in the way that actually both older men and young women have no problem publicly asserting that they that, that they like each other um now um no matter how casual the relationship i've one fundamental criterion for anybody i date they have to be a very nice person that matters to me first and foremost Mm -hmm. i have amazing radar for very nice people as a result i only date utterly lovely younger men in an atmosphere of mutual trust respect liking and affection Mm -hmm. and so rather ironically because of that my so-called casual relationships go on a lot longer than most people's so-called committed ones I date younger men sporadically, off and on, for periods of two, three, four, five, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. They may go on to date women their own age. They may get married to women their own age. We stay friends. We like each other. You know, we, we might meet platonically for coffee or drink. Every so often those relationships end, every so often those marriages end, and they come back. It's very nice. Yeah. And what would you say to people? Because my thought was there that, maybe people might think oh well they're just using you Cindy like they just come back when they're not in relationships do you see it as well they're 20 odd year old and young and hot and I got on with them so I'm quite happy actually I'm using him <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um, um, no I mean nobody's using anybody in, in, mm-hmm. in that respect um honestly one one young gentleman who you know I've I've known um for golly um probably now about 12 years um 10 12 years um, i mean he said to me the other day i consider you one of my best and closest friends because, oh. because we we have a very friendly relationship um he is on the other side of the country he's currently working in texas um so i haven't seen him in in, in a while 
but we talk regularly. I give him advice. Um, I've, I've given him advice um, on, on his relationships when, when he's in them. Mm -hmm. And he considers me one of his closest friends. Mm -hmm. I think that's nice. I think there's also younger men want to have conversation that younger women their own age don't seem to be having. I've noticed that since coming out of my relationship, I feel like younger men are approaching me and I'm quite shocked as well because I think, oh, well, I'm 31 and you're 23 or you're 22 or you're 21, like you're you're so young. And do you think that it's you're old and you're 31 and it's written all over your face and these people in the club must know that, you know? But I was quite shocked. But I found that they wanted conversation more yeah. than they wanted to get into your knickers let's say yeah no, no, no absolutely because you know so, so one thing I've, I've, I've you know often done is ask the younger men who reach out to me you know why are you interested in older women mm -hmm. and you know first of all what I hear very often is you know um I like their confidence and the fact they're not so insecure and and i understand that because i remember myself in my 20s and mm -hmm. i was insecure as anything mm -hmm. and, and and the problem with being insecure about yourself is that um you know it, it makes you focus entirely on yourself and not on other people you know mm -hmm. and so no they're not thinking oh my god she looks so they're thinking wow that's someone who's really confident and at ease with herself mm -hmm. and i want to connect with that and i want to talk to her and, and also you know um the, the younger men I date really appreciate my life experience. I mm -hmm. give them a ton of very useful career advice, yeah. you know, that they, they really they really appreciate and benefit from that. You know, um, they are enormously interested in, you know, my perspectives and what I do and what I can talk to them about. So, um, yeah, because all of that comes with gained life experience as you get older. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that I'm not a businesswoman on the calibre that you are, Cindy, but I've got 31 years to catch up, so hopefully. <laughs> um, but I think that they are blown away. My friend calls me Mrs Robinson because she's like, all oh, the young guys like want you. And as Fantastic. soon as you say um, you've got like multiple businesses, they're like, oh, my God, like it's it's... I think it is like a turn on for them and they're like hmm, you can teach me something when it does come to the bedroom though Cindy did you ever feel nervous or insecure about getting naked for a younger man or were they just no, so no, into no, you no. no absolutely not first of all I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about my body because mm -hmm. I think it's fantastic yeah and it and is so I've seen it <laughs> and, and secondly this is really important for women to know Honestly, um, you know, by the time you're taking your clothes off with someone, he is just pathetically grateful to be there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and 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 literally, I cannot tell you. You know, I have been told I'm beautiful naked many more times when I began dating younger men than ever before in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I remember, you know, one young gentleman who was studying it up close at the time saying to me, "You've got a beautiful butt." Mm -hmm. Now. By no stretch of the imagination, objectively, do I have a beautiful butt, but he thought so. <laughs> you know, honestly, I mean, um, you know, it's the point, um, you know, I made in my Starlight U video, and the point I have, to, I, have to, I have to make constantly, you know, your body is hot as hell because it's yours. Mm -hmm. What makes you sexually attractive and desirable is you. People are attracted to the person 
and then they bloody love your body because it's the physical manifestation of you and they think it's amazing yeah yeah I loved when you said that I loved the whole interview I have watched it I don't know how many times I probably should get a jail sentence if I actually told you <laughs> I'm saying to all my friends I'm like I'm not telling you who I'm interviewing because you'll watch this and I want you to hear her first there and then you can watch her there <laughs> so in your culture so you come your mother's Chinese and there was a expectation that you would grow up and there would be no sex before marriage how does your mum or your parents react to the lifestyle that you live now Cindy? Sure so um so you know my, my father died a few years ago but my mother's still alive she's 89 she lives in London yeah. and and you know I mean I mean first of all you know what I've always said in the past what would be last while this is you know my, my parents know I'm doing something good but, but we don't really talk in any you know detail about it um but you know as my mother is Chinese the point I make is the day make love not porn makes an absolute god and fucking shit ton of money is the day she's absolutely fine with it <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm working towards that day <laughs> make Norm proud did you notice a difference in the way that men who are younger have sex as opposed to men your own age or a wee bit older have sex and do you think that mainstream porn adds to this um so again Nicole I want to emphasize what I've been saying for 13 years the issue isn't porn the issue mm -hmm. isn't we don't talk about sex okay. in the real world mm -hmm. that's the problem um I mean um I um <clears throat> obviously I haven't dated men my own age or older um in a very long time because I don't um mm -hmm. so I so I can't give you that point of comparison but but what I can tell you is, you know, um, I'm 62, so I'm old enough to remember back in the day when the men I slept with, it was enormously important to them that I came. Mm -hmm. That I came at least once, if not several times, that I came first. Mm -hmm. You know, if I did not come, no one was going anywhere till I came. <laughs> I remember those dates very fondly because, as I said earlier, I date utterly lovely younger men. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I can see them in bed unconsciously modeling the body language that says my dick is the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the issue there, Nicole, is um, because it's important, important to say, you know, um, w one of the things I try and get people to understand is that, you know, what we're talking about now is exactly the same dynamic in any industry in popular culture. When every single industry, including porn, is male dominated, and creating content that is, you know, shot through the male lens. What we get is patriarchal content that continues misogyny and patriarchal behavior. And, you know, um, when kids today access porn for the first time at the age of six, that is the average age which a child first stumbles on porn on the internet. Mm -hmm. That's why, by the way, I'm raising funding to build a zero to 18 version of Make Love Not Porn, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> which is a sex education platform. Mm -hmm. um, but when um, boys and girls grow up watching porn, both boys and girls internalize the concept that in bed, his dick is the center of the universe. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. In the same way, that both boys and girls internalize in every area of popular culture that women's job is to make themselves attractive to men. Okay? Yeah. All of this is a huge problem and it surrounds us everywhere. 
So that's the issue. Mm -hmm. Could you elaborate a bit on the zero to 18 sex education on Make Love Not Porn, just for the listeners? Sure. So um, to make everybody aware, um, the one thing I didn't realise when I embarked on Make Love Not Porn was that I and my tiny team would fight an enormous battle every single day to build this business. Basically because every piece of business infrastructure, any other startup just gets to take for granted. We can't, the small print always says no adult content. Mm -hmm. And that is all pervasive across funding, banking, payment processing, technical services, everything. Including our biggest business growth inhibitor, we are banned from advertising and promoting Make Love Not Porn anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I've managed to keep Make Love Not Porn operational for 10 years on just $3 million of funding. That is an extraordinary achievement. Mm -hmm. It's especially extraordinary because 75% of all startups fail within the first five years, and we have many more obstacles than your average startup. Mm -hmm. And so I am now setting out to raise a round of serious funding um, to optimize Make Love Not Porn and build out some product expansions. And by the way, I've been trying to raise funding for these product expansions for years. Mm -hmm and I've spectacularly failed. So I want to build, as I said, the zero to 18 version of Make Love Not Porn. It's called Make Love Not Porn dot Academy. I bought the URL many years ago, and if you go to it, you'll see a very old holding page there. And this is what I describe as the Khan Academy of Sex Education. Because Khan Academy, the online tutoring platform, tutors on every other topic under the sun except this one. Educational technology, EdTech, is exploding, not in this area. So I want to build Make Love Not Porn Academy along the same principles as Make Love Not Porn.tv, user-generated, crowdsourced, curated revenue share. Because I'm not about reinventing the wheel. Make Love Not Porn Academy is an aggregation play that is designed to help every sex educator struggling out there. So we will open, when I can get this funding, we will build Make Love Not Porn Dot Academy and we'll open it up to sex educators all around the world who are invited to submit to us their own content, mm -hmm. their coursework, their materials, their videos, their comic strips, whatever it may be. Now, we will curate because at the heart of everything Make Love Not Porn does lies human curation. We only ever publish what is Make Love Not Porn endorsed. If you were an American sex educator and you submitted what is depressingly popular over here, abstinence-only sex education, we're not going to publish that. Mm -hmm. We don't endorse so-called education that goes, don't do it. doesn't work. We will then publish segmented by age appropriateness. So if you're a parent freaking out, going, oh my God, my six-year-old just asked about this, what do I say? Mm -hmm. Here's where you would go for entirely age-appropriate tools and content to have that conversation with a six-year-old. If, you, if you're a teacher of a class of 14-year-olds, here's where you go for your age-appropriate teaching materials. If you're an adult, access all areas. But the important thing, Nicole, is that this is also the go-to global hub for sex education content that children can access on their own because it's entirely safe for work. Mm -hmm. If you're a 10-year-old, you can go to Make Love Not Porn Academy and access a section for you that is age-appropriate to talk to you about sex, mm -hmm. educate you about sex, some of this will be free to access, but we'll also charge to download, subscribe, bulk buy if you're a school. There are different revenue streams, different use cases. And by the way, we're talking a huge revenue generator. 
And we will then split the income 50-50 with its creators, exactly the same way we do with our Make Love Not Porn Stars. Because right now, nobody goes into sex education to have money, mm -hmm. to make money. I have friends who are brilliant sex educators. They face all the same problems I do. Their content gets blocked on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. They can't make a living doing this. They have to take other jobs to survive. I want to change that because this is enormously valuable work. Yeah, I think it's enormously valuable. As I said, I've got seven nieces and nephews. And I feel like if you look at the sex education or the so-called sex education that we got in schools or from our parents, which we didn't get any, um, it is extremely valuable. I think it's extremely valuable not only to know what sex is, what it looks like, what real life sex is like as well. Um, not that I think any of that would be on the the academy. Um, however, oh, no, but, but, I'm but, 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 but at the age of so zero to at 18, the age of at the age time, of eighteen. Mm -hmm. You graduate to make love, not yes. born, and sex education through real-world demonstration. Yeah, that's what I mean. So at a point that it was appropriate, I'd assume that was when yeah. you would show real-life yeah. sex. Um, but I feel like it could also stop people. I often think about, if I knew what I know now about how valuable my body is and how special it is to share it with someone, would I have shared it? Would I share it again with anybody who I have previously shared it with? And honestly, I think the answer would be no to all of them. And it's not to be horrible or anything like that. It's just that I don't feel like anybody really deserved my body. And I don't feel like I grew up and was taught how valuable it is, how valuable you are. And I think that if you learn about your body, how to use it, how to love it, then you can teach someone else how to use it and how to love it as well. You're absolutely right, Nicole. And by the way, that is precisely why people, I mean, men and women alike, tell us that they cry when they watch videos on Make Love Not Porn, because mm -hmm. we are the only place where you will see people connecting and trusting each other and loving each other and having amazing sex because of all of that mm -hmm. in a way that sadly um you know and i say this from 13 years of working make love not porn the majority of the world is not mm -hmm. yeah it's very sad but hopefully we can create change i think that if i spoke to my sister and my friends about the academy and what you're looking to achieve spoke to my followers i think that the people would be so on board with it and i think it's madness that you can't advertise and even things like menopause can't be advertised on no, the likes of facebook exactly. instagram and it's like these are things that are, are real life things they're real life stuff that we've got to face and we've got to deal with why can porn be shown on I, I remember going on a twitter and it was i don't know if you know who stephen bear is but stephen bear was basically force feeding his dick to his 20 year old girlfriend and it looked like rape and that was their only fans videos that they were promoting on twitter and i was horrified by it it looked 
that girl was not enjoying it. It was it was awful. It, and it took me months to get that image out of my head. But you're not allowed to educate. Um, you're not allowed to educate children or people on sex education. I just don't. I don't get it. It's not right. So there needs to be a movement, and I'm all for that movement. Sorry, I don't know why it's went extremely dark that's, on the camera. That's, that's, that's so that's strange. So, so yeah, I would say to our, our listeners, if anybody knows any open-minded investors, mm-hmm. um, send them my way, Cindy at MakeLoveNotPorn.com. Mm-hmm. Especially because you know, you know, sex is the best investment there is. We all have it. We all enjoy it. And in the current market downturn sex is recession proof and the market never ever goes away Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and you said love sells not sex so the 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 saying goes that sex sells but actually you are selling love and people are loving it yeah and also to just correct that um uh nicole you know i've said in the past you know I hate the term sex cells because when people use it, they are referencing sex through the male lens. Mm-hmm. We have not even begun to see how effectively sex can sell through the female lens. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm doing. Yeah. What's the best advice you've ever received, Cindy? Get more sleep. Get more sleep. Um, and what's next for you? Um, raising $20 million to scale Make Love Not Porn. Okay, and what is your career highlight to date? Keeping Make Love Not Porn alive as a business for 10 years in the face of the tech business and finance world's attempts to shut us down every day. Yeah, that just due to everything that we spoke about. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know it's very valuable and you've not got a lot of it, so thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I hope it changes people's outlook on life and it helps open up their minds a little bit. It's been an absolute pleasure, Nicole. Great talking to you. Take care, Nicole. Bye-bye. You too.